Aaron. This is Paul. And this is Wayne. Well, welcome. We now live in a world post the funnies. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty excited about it. We've got a whole new year of comics to talk about, Paul, Wayne. It's crazy. It's crazy. Whole new year. I mean, right now we are already prepping work on next year's Funny Book Awards. Well, you know, Tim's already out there look, trying to figure out what his favorite cover is going to be. He's he's committing 52 weeks to it this year. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate his dedication. That's why he couldn't be on the show today. Is he's too busy looking at covers. <laughs> well, and so this week we're going to do something a little bit different than normal in that, you know, typically we, you know, we talk about the books that we commonly read. And, you know, this week... Having read the books that we most commonly read, things like Action Comics, Detective Comics, um, not that they were bad, but there was nothing really striking about any of the books that we regularly read to talk about, so we're going to mix it up. We're going to talk about books that maybe didn't even come out this week, they may have come out in prior weeks, um, or just that we've read this week, that just kind of, we never really talk about, so just kind of toss out some more suggestions your way outside of the DC Marvel spectrum. Very few DC Marvel books to talk about this week. It's it's crazy, exciting stuff, Paul. Almost as crazy and exciting as a new Hellboy board game. Yes. So I don't know if you guys heard about this, um, but Mantic Games, I'm not familiar with them. Uh, they are a UK game maker, has licensed Mike Mignola's Hellboy uh, for a new game to be released worldwide. It's described as a cooperative experience in which players face off against some of the comic's most famous foes. Up to four people take control of iconic BPRD, BRPD members, such as Hellboy, Ape Sapien, and Roger the Homunculus, before exploring gothic locations and uncovering ancient artifacts. Um, the game aims to accurately capture the look and feel of Mike Mignola's world-famous comic series. Can I just say that Roger the Homunculus is one of my favorite BPRD characters? Well, you can play as him. I, I love that character, and I just cool. hate that he. I just hate it when they killed him off. I I, I love that character. Well, I think oh, that was spoilers. Cool. Yeah, spoilers, spoilers. By the way, <laughs> that, that only happened five years ago. Yeah, but I I do I I love that character. I thought he was great. Yeah, and so this is I, I'm 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 curious about this based on the fact that they're calling it a cooperative game. Um, they say uh, fast fun. A fun and fast-paced cooperative board game that kind of makes me sound uh, kind of sounds almost like a an imperial assault type thing, uh, you know. It mentions four players, maybe some kind of like what the GM's the bad guy, and you know you have the four players doing co-op against it type thing. Or yeah. it could be. I mean, a lot of games there is no bad guy exactly. the The game system itself is the bad guy. I'm thinking Pandemic is a good example of that where everyone is working together. But what I'm waiting to hear is what the price point's the going to be. The device is connected. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> the device is disconnected. The device is disconnected. It, 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 Skynet has gone live. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the story I'm, behind I'm pretty, that, and I have I'm no idea sure what's the, the, the shield generator around the warp core and things are about to go really bad. So. It's about to go down. <laughs> Okay, so the story behind that, because I've never used this, and I don't know what connected and disconnected to it, because it scared the hell out of me last time this happened. That's my light. Your light? Yes. So I mentioned a while back that my wife had worked with her sister and created an area in the basement for you know, my Lego stuff. Yeah. It's this huge area. That's where I record now. I brought my stuff downstairs. The light actually has a Bluetooth speaker in it, so I could uh, play music through the light. But it got oh. disconnected. 
Are you but, sitting crisscross applesauce with amongst your Legos while you podcast? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. But I didn't know. I didn't realize this. I didn't know it had any Bluetooth to it at all. So I was down here right before the funnies was the first time that this happened where I'm sitting here and out of nowhere, that voice goes off, like scared the hell out of me. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but you know, they've got smart light bulbs now. Yes. And you know, you can run it through like if you had such a thing in your home, you know, your Alexa, you know, smart speaker. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm seeing all these, all these videos on Instagram of people, you know, turning their lights on, you know, controlling various things in their, quote, smart home with their Alexa, you know, technology. And I keep looking at that going, man, you're just making it so much easier for Skynet to fuck you up. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a thing, people. Skynet. It's I mean, coming. We, as... Everyone learned in Terminator 3, you can't prevent Judgment Day, you can only delay it. That is correct. That is correct. I just, I feel like we're running headlong into, you know, the singularity, Paul. That's what I think is happening. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I'll say, so before my light tried to uh, take over. Destroy you. Yes. (laughs) What I was going to say is uh, what I'm waiting to hear about is the price of the Hellboy board game, because there are some cooperative games out there that I would love to have. Particularly, there's a Ghostbusters one, but it's like 80 bucks. I imagine uh, I'm cheap. (laughs) So this is going to be a Kickstarter, which is I find unusual if you're an established game company with an established license that you would kickstart your property. But I guess that's just the way of um, that's probably just the business model. Ghostbusters was kickstarted. Well, and I think that's the that's the uh, the model for high end games, right? Yeah, you know they're 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 probably wanting to do some some really nice molds on the figures, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. and you know, that's how you do it. Yeah, you know, good point. You energize your fan base and let them pay your upfront costs instead of you having to invest your own money. You know, as my father used to always tell me, always spend somebody else's money, son. Always. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the Kickstarter launches in April. So I'm assuming we'll, we will find out more then. It's pretty exciting. Well, you know what else is happening later this year, Aaron? Paul, that I, I tell you. I am really disappointed that Tim is busy looking at comic covers for the the 2018 funnies. Well, I feel uh, like you're going to bring the ragey red Tim this week for some reason. Well, I really wanted to get the Thunder Brothers together because uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like Tim would share my rage here. So, I, I truly do. <laughs> so go ahead, Aaron. Well, you know, in, in Thor Ragnarok, they introduced uh, Valkyrie to the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it was atypical Valkyrie. She was she was, you know, a a quite a strong departure from the Valkyrie we have known in the pages of Marvel Comics. Um, they have decided to bring that character from Thor Ragnarok into the Marvel Comics in the pages of I believe it's Exiles and an alternate universe sort of story. Correct. Uh, um, but that character will be in the Marvel comics. And here's my objection. It reminds me of what they did with, with the, uh, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, uh, Nick Fury in the pages of Marvel comics. You know, they started him off in, in the ultimate, uh, uh, in the ultimate comics, which is an alternate universe. And then they re- supplanted 
the Nick Fury that we have had since the launch of Marvel Comics with this other Nick Fury character. Um, and that's what bugs me is, I mean, I, I feel like when they have a, you know some kind of success in the MCU, they just replace the interpretation of the comic character with the MCU character. And I just really wish that they would just do that stuff over in the uh, in the comics based on the movies and not bring it over into the to the standard Marvel comic universe because it just drives me crazy. I like the original interpretation of Valkyrie. I have always enjoyed that Brunhild character. Um, I loved her in Defenders. I've loved her in other books that she's been in. I, I I feel like, particularly of late, they've not given that character much of a chance. You know, I would love to see somebody write on her, you know, at the same skill level that they've had writing on other female-led books, as opposed to completely retooling the character and having her look nothing like she has looked from the jump. Um I just it just bugs me. It bugs me, bugs me, bugs me. I do not object to the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe's, you know, uh, multi-ethnic interpretation of the Asgardian gods. I think that works great on film, but it is such a departure from what we've had in the comics. And I just I feel like they're going to mainstream that in the Marvel comics, just like they did with the Nick Fury character. And don't get me wrong. I love me some Samuel L. Jackson, Nick Fury. Um, I thought it was brilliant what uh, – who was it? Uh, Mark uh, Miller. Thank you, Mark Miller, who did that in the original Ultimate books. That was brilliant. And, I mean, that was where the comic the, – the, the interpretation of the character in the comic led to the casting in the film. I think that was brilliant. But then that worked so well in the film, they just pushed that on into the MCU and replaced a perfectly great character of Nick Fury. Um I just I, I hate that. I just wish they'd go make a, a new character as opposed to retooling the character that I have enjoyed for so long because I really do like Valkyrie. Yeah. So I'm I actually like the idea of it being in an Exiles book. I didn't realize Exiles was running again because I used to love that book. It's I love the really good what if stories and we don't get those anymore. So Exiles was the closest to what if that we kind of got. Like I said I didn't know the book was running anymore. So so, so Wayne. You're talking to a guy who has never read Exiles ever. I've never picked up a single Exiles book, and I really don't know what it is. Why don't you tell me what it is? Okay, so the original Exiles, how it started out was somebody had broken time or broken the universes. And so these creatures grabbed characters from different multiverses, brought them together and said, your universe doesn't exist. You have to go into these other universes and fix things because if you don't, it's going to continue breaking universes. Uh, basically, it was like Sliders meets What If. So you have a team. The original team was very X-Men focused. And I so gathered that of because of the, the X in the title, right? Yep. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they've had other characters in and out. Uh, Spider-Man 2099 regained some of his popularity being in that book for a while. Mm -hmm. And they basically go from universe to universe fixing things, hoping that each one will be then, you know, each jump will be the jump home. It's kind of like Quantum Leap meets Sliders, actually, right. is a good way to put it. Right. Uh, so it was, I liked the what-if aspect of it, because every new storyline or new issue was a new universe that has changed because of some event. You see how the worlds are different, just like in uh, in What Ifs, but they would have missions in each book. 
as long as this is contained there, I I'll read it and I'll be happy. I don't want I have the same problem you do, Aaron, though. I don't like when they change things in the comics to match the movies. Exactly. I hated that they replaced Nick Fury. I loved Ultimate Nick Fury. Absolutely. He was great over there. Yeah. I didn't need him to be well, and it wasn't that character that became the Marvel Nick Fury. Right. But right. still well, and, and, I, and it's I think basically I, that character. And I love the diversity. I mean, I loved having a different interpretation of Nick Fury in the Ultimate books. I loved the Ultimate books. Don't get me wrong. And I thought that interpretation of Nick Fury was brilliant. I just didn't think that it needed to be over in the standard, you know, six one six. Right. I I gotta be I, so. In the case of Nick Fury, I agree with you. I loved the interpretation of Nick Fury. I think the Marvel Universe Nick Fury was great. And I understand that. I, I get the Joe Casada line of thinking. Um, and I guess it's not Joe Casada anymore, right? It's Bill Jemis. Um, but uh, uh, which is to say that, uh, hey, someone goes and watches the movie and picks up a comic book. They're not going to understand why Nick Fury's this old white dude versus you know, the Sam Jackson they see in the movies. They're, they're trying to bring new readers in rather than preach to the choir. And so that's the way they, you know, Nick, old Nick Fury's still there, but so is is new young Sam is Jackson. He, isn't, isn't old Nick Fury dead? Didn't he die on the moon? Did he? Uh, yeah, he died that, on the that moon. That crossover sucked ass anyway. Original Sin. He's the, I thought out of that, he ended up becoming the new Watcher. But either way, <laughs> he's not there anymore. Yeah. That, but that's it, kind of the point, is he's gone and... Well, I new th- Nick Fury is this one. I think my main problem with Nick Fury the way, is that, quite frankly, it was just a poorly written introduction and story. And um, the the way that character was introduced, and it, it, I just found that silly. As far as the Valkyrie thing, I hear Aaron, and I and I, I got I, I think that's what's going to happen. I think that because no, the Valkyrie exactly interpretation was so well, I think we're going to see old Valkyrie die at some point soon, replaced by this alternate universe Al- Valkyrie in the main Marvel universe. Um Especially with, you know, a new Infinity Gauntlet crossover coming up this year. It just seems ripe for some death. So, Paul, I've not I have not been reading uh, the current Thor book as closely as you have. You know, I've been kind of in and out of it. Has Valkyrie been in that book? Yeah, she has. I mean, as a supporting character. Not not quite as much as obviously like Volstagg. Um, But, you know, she's a supporting character. Okay. Because yeah, you know, I, I think even even more of a concern for me is that that interpretation interpretation of the character, instead of getting a a swan song, uh, just kind of disappears, and all of a sudden you just got this other character, and everyone acts like that's the normal character. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, I, I just I dislike it. I dislike that the new interpretation, just because it was in a film, and we're trying to win over new readers from the film, we lose you know, the character that, 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 that we all fell in love with to begin with. And I, that just bugs the hell out of me, bugs the hell out of me. Oh, reading the news. This isn't even a case of the character is just in one storyline. She's a member of the team. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but that doesn't mean anything except because not, not, it it depends on the success of the book. Right. <laughs> as to, no, no, as to I, whether she'll be introduced in the Marvel universe. Yeah. I, like I said, I, I think it's, you know, if she just stays over there, <laughs> if she stays as an alternate universe character and she, she, uh, uh, you know, those stories are confined there. That's great. I, I, you know, more power to them. What bothers me is, is the, the, 
the tradition here, you know, the 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 pattern that we have seen previously is that she'll she'll replace the existing character. Yeah. Well, in other kind of shocking, well, I shouldn't say shocking, in other kind of like ho-hum news, right? Uh, DC announced this week that they are leaving Barnes & Noble bookstands. I saw that. And so, you know, it, I think Marvel did this quite a while back. Uh, I, I believe so. And it was pretty much just DC and Archie. I think some image is there too. Uh, just like their main books, like Walking Dead and stuff like that. Spawn. Um but DC has announced that they're leaving Barnes and Noble bookstands. And, you know, on one hand, this podcast is hosted today uh, by three guys who read their comics pretty much 100% digitally. Mm -hmm. um, I don't even buy graphic novels anymore because I just don't want to store them. Um, so it's kind of one of those things that, as an adult, doesn't really have an impact on me. Um, you know, but I do recall growing up and that was how I got my comics regularly. I mean, of course I had comic stores growing up, but that's, I, I will say newsstands is how I discovered new stuff. Newsstands are how I got into Captain America because I would randomly pick up a Captain America. You know, when you're in the mall, when your parents drag you to the mall and you don't want to do a damn thing because the mall sucks, except for the, the, the arcade and the bookstores, um, you know, you, you, you go straight to that spinner rack and, and you look and you see what's on there. And, oh, look, there's a, a Ron Lim Captain America cover with him holding the the flag. You know, that and that that's I, I wouldn't say that's one of my first Captain America books, but it's certainly one of my most memorable. Um, and so I, I I get that nowadays DC wouldn't be making this decision if it wasn't for the fact that the sales are poor. But well, it, I, it's still I, sad. You know, it's a sign of I times. Do, I do think a lot of that's got to do with the fact that that people going to the mall is just down now, right? Yeah. I mean, so many people are, are shopping online or they're they're going to specialty shops that aren't at the mall um, that you're not getting the traffic. Because, you know, how many times did, as a kid did you go – did you slip into a bookstore while your mom was doing something else at the mall? Yeah, right? all you the know, time. You were, killing time. you were killing time in the bookstore checking out the comics and then, you know, browbeating mom to buy you something. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that's that that was totally my move. <laughs> you know, look, mom, I've got this stack of books. How many of these are you going to buy for me? Um, and I just think that 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 number is down because of online ordering is such a big deal. Um, it's not allowing for impulse purchases. And, you know, it's been it's been probably two years since I browsed the comic section out of Barnes and Noble. But I'll tell you what, you know, the last time I was in a Barnes and Noble, a lot of those books had been browsed so heavily they were rather they were rather shelf worn. Yeah. Um, and I yeah. was like, there's no way in hell I could buy this book, <laughs> you know, in the condition that it's in. Well, and there was a time when in uh, the Barnes and Nobles they would have like a spinner rack that was dedicated to it. But at least for me, the last couple of times I've seen them in a Barnes and Noble, they're just in with the magazines and. Right. I don't ever go look at the magazines. If I'm going to pick up and browse through a comic, it's going to be one of the trades. Yeah, and I, you know, I think we come at this from a, the point of view as guys who rarely visit even a comic store anymore. So I'd be very curious to hear from the listeners. Uh, you know, you guys listening to this podcast, does this affect you? I, I, I think the the last time I saw someone actively looking at a comic rack for a new comic, it's been a good ten plus years. Um, 
that, that since I've seen that. Do, but do you guys listen to this podcast? Do you do you look at the spinner rack? Well, they're not spinner racks anymore. But do you go to the newsstands at Barnes and Noble? Do your kids get their any comics that way? I'm I'm very curious to hear who frequents that scenario anymore, or is it just a dying breed? Uh, because people don't discover. Here's the thing: comic readers discover new comics digitally. People mm-hmm. don't discover comics digitally. Like I can't imagine the 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 twelve year old who goes and watches Infinity War is going to go home, download Comicsology, and buy a comic. Right. I think they're going to say, "Well, let me go to a comic store," or they're going to come across it, you know, some other way. But I, I think Comicsology are for people who are actively who are familiar with the medium and go for it. I could be well, wrong. I do- I do think there was a period, I don't know if they're doing it anymore, but uh, Marvel had a deal with uh, some of the retailers to preload their app onto tablets when they were purchased. So that, you know, when you when you fired up your app, you filed up your tablet for the first time, there there was there was the Marvel app and you could go in and you would have a credit or you know some some free comics available to you and it, it would allow you to to immerse in that experience. One of the things I saw and this was an article I read this week was a retailer talking about how you know last year he made the decision to go head to head with Amazon in terms of graphic novel pricing. So he started the thing at his store and it ran for the entirety of 2017 of 30% off every day, all day every day on all of his trade paperbacks. So, uh, you know, there would not be, you know, so he would, he would reduce that reason for you to go get it on Amazon versus getting it at his, at his store. And of course the benefit of getting it at his store is that you could have it today and you could thumb through it before you bought it. And so he did the analysis at the, at the end of 2017 to, to demonstrate what that did to his business. And he was able to point to not only did he not lose money on that deal, but that he made more money because he was selling more books because people would come in and buy the collection. And because it was 30% off, they'd buy another collection as well. And so he was actually $7,500 ahead in his graphic novel net sales uh, at the end of 2017. See, it amazes me that he made any money though, because the margins I thought were so slim that 30% would just would devastate him. I mean, the reason that Amazon was able to do pricing like that, I've always thought, was because of the bulk buys. Yeah, I'm sure that that's – I mean, I'm sure that the profit for Amazon is a lot higher. But my understanding is that the uh, – and and maybe we'll have a retailer you know, uh, correct us. But my understanding is that the cost was like 50 percent of the retail or, or a little bit less of that. Um, and so that there's still some profit in it, but just not a lot. But he also said, you know, that was strictly for graphic novels, but that he felt like he could, he could also make a case that it was, that he still made even more money on that because of other incidental purchases while the person was in the store. Yeah. Uh, but that, that the $7,500 ahead was strictly based on the collection sales. So, you know, for, for a, a, a loan store, he didn't lose money and he made more money over the previous year. I think comic reader, and I don't know that Comicsology still offers its affiliate program with comic shops. They do not. Oh, they have. They. I, I read an article at the end of the year that they were discontinuing that service. Hmm. Yeah, because so not enough people using it. And I think that's that's a shame. And I think that's closed mindedness on comic shops. I think you have to embrace the future. Um, have, have 
freaking have tablets in your comic store that people can buy the comics and you are literally making money with people in the store reading the comics type of thing. Um, I, I, I sign people up for it. You know, that kind of thing. I, I just think it, it's closed mindedness on, on comic shops that that is doing away with. I, I know I speak from experience that my closed minded comic shop is one of the reasons why I don't go to comic shops anymore. Right. Um, no, it's a shame uh, because uh, we, I, I don't know if we have any comic shop owners who listen to the, to the podcast and I, I love going into a comic shop, but I, I rarely buy anything in a comic shop anymore, except unless maybe it's a toy or a statue or something like that. Well, Paul, do you think you'll venture into a comic shop to buy the uh, new Dick Tracy comic published by Archie? Well, hey, Archie's on the Barnes and Noble newsstand, so maybe I'll go there. Um, <laughs> so, you guys uh, who listen to this show, anyone who's listened to this show for a number of years, knows that I have been screaming for years that I want Dick Tracy back in comics, but it's been held up in rights issues, um, you know. And uh, now, the the my dream team on a Dick Tracy book is Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Dream team. Um, the, well, that's not what we're getting, so, uh, but we are still getting Arch, uh, Archie is, has picked up the rights. Uh, they lost the rights to Sonic the Hedgehog, and I think right now they're kind of scrambling to replace those rights with other properties. And so they have gained the Dick Tracy rights, um, and they are going to be producing a Dick Tracy book uh, co-written by Alex Segura and Michael Mor- Morici. Um, so Alex Segura is Archie Comics co-president. Michael Morici is a hoax hunter's host, I guess. Uh, or maybe that's a comic art, a writer. I don't know. And Archie artist Thomas okay. Patilli. Um, it, it, so this is kind of a, a year one style story uh, that, that's coming up. Uh, it is available in comic stores uh, April 11th and digitally April 11th. Covered by Francesco Francavilla. I mean, guys, I can't even tell you how excited I am. I love Dick Tracy. I think it's a, I, it's because of rights issues that we haven't seen it. And I guess it, it, it it's a tough nut to crack because it's that pulp storytelling that doesn't necessarily bring people into a comic store in droves. But it's, it is kind of one of those things that um, it has, it has a rogues gallery that is, you know, you, you can make hundreds of toys of of dick tracy so it's it's just such a marketable property it's it's sad that it's been held up in in rights hell for years so paul have we seen any of the interior art not as yet. of yet because yeah, that's what i'm kind of waiting for on this archie has so archie comics has been doing some really good things in the last few years and i find myself picking up mini series here and there picking up books when i would have never even looked at archie before but you mentioned they had lost Sonic the Hedgehog, and that was some one of the books they had still aimed at kids. Yeah. So when I hear that Archie's taking something on, my first thought is, which type of Archie book is this going to be? Is this going to be part of their their new lines that are aimed at older readers that have been really good? Or is this going to be one of theirs aimed at going into the digest at grocery stores for impulse buys? I would you know, imagine is this going to be aimed at kids or adults? I think somewhere in the middle. I think with Dick Tracy, the rights owners are not going to allow a mature reader's Dick Tracy book. That's never been Dick Tracy has always been a family friendly title, even with dealing with mature subject matter. So I'd imagine that's what we're going to get here. Yeah, you know, I guess I should say there are there are levels of Archie, but there are the you know like Afterlife with Archie. But there are a lot of books that are just aimed at adults that aren't you know. Aren't the extreme like Afterlife with Archie and uh, the Sabri- new Sabrina book? 
Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. I cannot wait for new Dick Tracy comics. And now Sounds I want to go neat. rewatch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I do too, but I haven't been able to find it. It's well, on are you, uh Are you equally excited about uh, Bendis writing in issue 1000 of Action Comics? I am pretty excited about that. So obviously we have the big Action Comics 1000 coming up within the next couple months. Uh, and so... We are Brian Michael Bendis's first DC comics work is going to be a backup story in that book uh, with art by Jim Lee. And, uh, you know, th- th- we, we, we had mentioned at some time ago that Aaron had a, a fear that Bendis would be taking over uh, Superman at some point, um, you know, as part of his DC deal. From Dan Jurgens, that was my specific fear. Yeah, yes, because I want to see him write Superman, but I don't want him to touch Jurgens' book. Yeah. Well, this seems to lend credence to it, right? He's doing a backup feature in Action Comics now. Obviously, nothing has been announced, but this is just his first actual um, work. Yeah. I'd like to point out that Bendis coming over to DC is rather like Jesus coming into the world. He's here to fuck up all your relationships. That's what that's all about. <laughs> So I, I, we will see. I'm very much looking forward to Action Comics 1000. I think it is. It, it has a hefty cover price. Um, I think it's some. I think it's like an eight dollar cover price. Um, but it is huge. It's going to be a huge book. Um, so it, well, and I mean, I read the article. Uh, they're also releasing a hardcover version of that of that book. That's going to be like 300 pages. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's basically like a uh, almost like a trade paperback type. Or- yeah, no other comic has reached the thousand uh, the thousand issue mark, uh, legitimately anyway. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I might actually go out and buy the the hardcover version of that. Yeah, I'll pick up the hardcover. I'll probably get it through Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get it digitally. So- <laughs> Um, yeah, I'll, well, I'll buy it digitally, but I may buy a hardcover version of it, too. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah, I'll look nice on a shelf. So in other Superman news, uh, because, you know, even though we're going to talk about a bunch of non-DC, non-Marvel books today, there's still some Superman news. Got to touch base on our favorite heroes. Um, it was this week in D.C. Actually, right now in Washington, D.C., there is the big D.C. in D.C. event. I was very interested in going to it, but um, didn't really want to go into D.C. on a holiday weekend and, and deal with the traffic and all that. But many... DC-related events are going on this weekend in Washington, D.C. They're going to have all the cast of all the CW TV shows, including the world premiere of the Black Lightning TV yeah, show, which, all the cast which, there. Which launches this week, right? Mm-hmm. And then on does, doesn't the first episode hit this week? Yep. Yeah, so you have the, the cast of Arrow, Flash, Legion of Superheroes, Black Lightning, Supergirl, um, uh, Legends of Tomorrow. And I don't know if it's the entire cast, but you also got Jim Lee, Jeff Johns, bunch of DC writers. It's a huge, huge event, pop-up stores. Um, it's a, it takes place at the Museum in Washington, D.C. Uh, the Museum yep. is my favorite museum in D.C., by the way. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. I, I love the Museum. I didn't go to it when I was there. I didn't oh. know about it ahead of time. So like once I was there, I drove past it and I saw it, but I had planned out what where I was going to spend my time and uh, air and space and natural history were the two that I really wanted to hit. Well, the, the museum's amazing. I, I, I go there every time I'm in town. Well, and so last night, uh, as of the time we're recording this, they, per- they had the world premiere of the Gotham by Gaslight movie, um, which uh, comes out in early February on digital, or I think late 
January digitally, early February on Blu-ray. Um, mm. Apparently, a really well-received movie. Uh, and uh, during the Q&A session, Bruce Tim said that based on the success of this movie, he would like to do a Superman Red Sun animated movie. Yes. Um, yes. You know, and so I, I do plan on, you know, I pick up all these DC movies, um, which. Yes. Which even is, even the very bad ones. Which, which is a fucking struggle, guys. <laughs> like I saw that Teen Titan. Yes. I saw that Judas Project movie. Oh, God. Or Judas Contract movie. Jesus. Yeah. yeah, it is. It was awful. Um, so one that I did really enjoy was uh, for Christmas, I got the uh, Batman Harley Quinn one. Yeah, that looked good. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like that a lot. It was cute. It's a good way to put it, because especially even the ending, it just it was not a serious. It was kind of like it, it was taken from Harley's point of view. But they had uh, I watched some of the special features on the disc and they were talking about Gotham by Gaslight, and it looks really good. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely picking it up, so uh, hopefully that film does well so we can get a Superman Red Sun movie. Well, and this week on Supergirl, the TV show, we got a look at Brainiac uh, from the Legion of Superheroes. Yeah, the uh, I they are... There was a, a a teaser image of Supergirl wearing a Legion flight ring that was released recently, and uh, now there's actually a, a little bit of film of her fighting Saturn Girl. Uh, I, I'm pretty excited about this. I, I, I it did not occur to me that they would introduce Legion of Superheroes in the Supergirl show, but man, I, I'm I'm actually excited about it. And as I, as I've mentioned, I got back into Supergirl through Crisis on Earth X. And so I'm I'm now watching season three, even though I never finished season one or even started season two. <laughs> oh, I love Supergirl a lot. I, I mostly caught up with all the DC shows because of the crossover. Mm-hmm. I watched them all leading up to it, so I didn't have major spoilers going into the crossover. Uh, although I did have a few spoilers from uh, you guys talking about the crossover. Sorry about that. But... <laughs> I watched all the shows up to uh, up to that point, so I have one episode of Supergirl I haven't seen, which is the uh, the rain episode. But I'd been suspecting for most of the season that we were going to see Legion come in, and I am so excited about it. I love when Legion comes into like the DC TV shows. I loved it when they did it on Smallville, even. And... Yeah. I- I, I didn't watch on Smallville. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see how it turns out. You know, it, it could go one of two ways, obviously. Uh, but hopefully they'll they'll do it right. Like they did Superman. So they, they treated Superman when you, right. When you say one of two ways, so awesome or super awesome? Of course. <laughs> well, and speaking of super awesome, we got a new issue of Mr. Miracle today or this I, week. I, I got to tell you, I, you know, there's a reason why uh, Tom King and Mr. and Mr. Miracle won some awards on the funnies this year, uh, because the book is just so damn good. And this was the issue at the very end of issue five. Mr. Miracle has been sentenced to death by Orion and, uh, you know, for for crimes against the new gods. And, uh, you know, Mr. Miracle tells Big Barda, his wife, you know, you know, if you want me to fight, I'll fight. But, you know, you just got to tell me what you want to do. And and at the end of the book, she says, stay, which means let's fight. 
and this this issue is the two of them fighting their way uh, from Earth to uh, New Genesis. And I just love this book. I mean, the the fights are handled so matter matter of factly. Like there there is there is no uh, threat that the two of these people can't overcome together. And so it's just very like they're punching a clock. Well, you know, this is what we do today, you know. And so it's the conversation that the two, these two characters are having and some of the characters are having that they're approaching, like the, the two guards in New Genesis. <laughs> the, the, the panel starts off with, so if we're the fourth world, what were the first three? And the other guy's like, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> It just cracks me up because that's such a that's such a fan conversation. Yeah. If this is the fourth world, what what are the other three? Um, I thought this book was fantastic, Paul. And I love that we spend so much of the book with Big Barda uh, feathering the nest. You know, she's talking about, you know, how how she wants to redesign the apartment. And keep in mind, you know, Mr. Miracle has been on the verge of suicide through this entire book. And so she 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 is, you know making changes to the home. And, and one of the lines that, I mean, I laughed out loud, Paul laughed out loud where, uh, you know, he, he was talking about, they were talking about, uh, having a house guest and, uh, she, you know, got up in the middle of the night and wound up, uh, you know, getting stabbed by the Stabatron. Keep in mind that Mr. Miracle Scott free is an escape artist. So he has these interesting devices around their home and he's like, Hey, I put a sign on the stab Stabatron. And Bart is like, did you? I will put a sign on the Stabatron. I love that line. I love that line, Paul. Yeah, me too. I, I, I freaking love this book. I do too. And I loved how it ended. Oh, um, my God. Well, it, with two two punches to yeah. the end, right? You got you got the, the one delivered by Big Barda. Spoilers. Big Barda's pregnant, which is why she's feathering the nest. And she she tells Scott that that she's pregnant in the middle of all of these fights. I mean, and they, they are killing people <laughs> left and right. Uh, just, just, they beat light rays ass. And, you know, she, she announces, you know, I'm pregnant, Scott. And there's just this beautiful uh, panel where he just hugs her, you know, from behind. And, Cause he's smaller yeah, than her. Right. And, you know, he, I thought it was interesting and, and it made me wonder, and I need to go back and look, he says, I love you. And her response is, I believe you. Does Big, Barda, does Big Barda not tell him? Is that something that she doesn't do having, you know, she, I mean, she's she's had a hard life. Yeah, right? I believe I mean, that's so, true. I, I do believe yeah. she, she has not said it. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I, I, I was curious about that. I believe you or uh, <laughs> but then he oh, he he comes into Orion's throne room. Tell him what we see there, Paul. Well, Orion's pretty much like dead. Yeah. 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 I'm pretty yeah. sure that's pretty, that's dead Orion on the floor there. <laughs> and uh, yeah. he looks up and he says, what did you do? And Darkseid is sitting there and he says, Darkseid does not do Darkseid is. Which is that theme we've had running through the entire series, right? Yeah. We've had, we've had that panel where it's, it's an all black panel with white lettering and it just says Darkseid is. So, uh, and then Darkseid disappears yeah. and Barda comes into the room and sees, you know, Scott, mask off, you know, freaked out by what he's seen and Orion lying dead on the floor. And she's like, Oh my God, Scott, you know, what, what happened? And, and, uh, he says, I saw the face of God. Yeah. I wasn't looking for it. But I saw the face of God. 
I just have this. And so this is the first half of this series or first half of this story arc. Uh, and man, it has just been so freaking good. It just really so is. Fr- now, I don't so, recall. Is there a break in between or is it just still monthly from here on out? I don't think I, I, I haven't. Heard. I haven't. I haven't heard. Um, I, 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 I if there's a break, I haven't heard about it. So, Aaron, Paul, if this reaches the end of the series and you find out that it was all a dream in those moments when Scott Free was trying to kill himself, will you still be happy with the series or will you be pissed off? It depends. Because I, I do feel like there is an element of unreality to this book. Yeah, there's a lot of changes, and that always makes yeah. you question, especially character deaths. Well, and there are those elements in the book where it almost looks like you're watching a video of it, and the video is jumping you know, in, the, in the way that the art is drawn. Uh, so like the the scene where, you know, Scott finds Orion dead and he goes, what did you do? It almost looks like a video jump. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, like the tracking is goofy on the VHS player. Well, he but, could still be in the trap. Right. They, they mentioned that he could yeah. still be in the trap and he doesn't know if he's in the trap still. So this could but, all this could be fake. Yeah, it, it could be. But here's the thing. Typically speaking, when we're talking about, oh, it's one of those dream books. It's not executed well. And I, ha- I I have faith in Tom King. He hasn't let me down yet. Um, I have faith that if this is that kind of thing, that he is going to make a strong execution, that he's going to stick the landing. Uh, but we'll see. You know, right now I am loving this and I'm asking those questions. Is this a dream? Is this, you know, some sort of holodeck episode? What the hell? But there are so many things of it that ring true. This is the hard part. There's so many things in the story that ring true. The stuff that you're like, now, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, how did that happen? Uh, you know, you're, 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 you're questioning the fantastic elements as opposed, you know, in conjunction with the very grounded elements. I love the book. It's, it's beautifully complex. Yeah, I, I, it's fantastic. Really liked it. And I did just double check. There is a break, um, just, a, just a one month break, though. They're skipping one month. That's okay. I can live with that. Yeah, it, it comes back in March, so which is good. Yeah, they, that that'll help it be on time for the rest of the series. If they need thirty days to continue bringing the awesome, they can have their thirty days. I I will allow it. <laughs> Even less than thirty days since it's uh, February. Oh, look at All look at right. look at Wayne bringing the math. Dang. <laughs> well, and so uh, you know that was our our DC book. Now I want to talk about something that came out from Dynamite this week. Dynamite! Dynamite! Um, BSG versus BSG number one came out from Dynamite, featuring the original Battlestar Galactica meeting the new, uh, well, I shouldn't say new, because at this point it's 10 years old, um, Battlestar Galactica. Uh, It's over 10 years old now, isn't it? It's been out there for a while. Yeah, uh, you know, but modern, or the rebooted Battlestar Galactica, I should say. And so, um, first issue came out this week. I was hesitant to pick it up, but I went ahead and gave it a shot. And, you know, Aaron, I think you read it with me. I did, And yeah. I'm sorry. I did not know that this was a Peter David book until I, until I uh, started reading it. Nor did I, nor did I. I don't think that I have read a Peter David book since before his stroke. Now you have. Yeah, um... And I, I only say that just to, to put a, a, a uh, note on the length of time it's been since I've read a Peter David book, not to indicate that the quality of the book has anything to do with his, uh, his uh, 
his stroke. But when uh, was his stroke? Uh, I don't know that I knew he had one. Yeah, two or three years ago. Yeah, it was before he started the Scarlet Spider book for Marvel, or right around that time. Yeah. Okay. Um, But, uh, you know, he's doing well. So, I mean, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to to be, you know, uh, indicate that there's a a problem in his writing. (laughs) No, 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 no. But this book does suck. But I am about to slam this this book pretty hard. Yeah, this this book blew. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) On a couple of different levels. I thought the art was particularly poor yeah um i it the 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 chosen artist did not have a strong grasp in drawing spaceships right No, and i think that's something that when you do one of these types of books like a star trek book a star wars book a battlestar galactica book any of these kinds of you know spaceship heavy science fiction books you've got to have somebody who can really draw not just a technically accurate uh, sort of starship, but also draw them in an exciting manner. And it just looked to me like he was positioning models, you know, uh, and not particularly well-drawn models. Um, his, I also think that something important to these types of books is your ability to draw likenesses. Um, and I did feel like his Edward James almost Commander Adama was uh, fairly convincing, but he only shows up on one panel. His uh, uh, Commander Kane looks nothing like the original actor. I mean, nothing like the original actor. And I will say that's true on the cover by John Cassidy. Um, And I thought that cover by John Cassidy, and I've said this before about John Cassidy. I know a lot of people love him. I think his cover work is terrible. It is. Um, And certainly his interior work is terrible, but he's not doing the interiors in this book. I I don't know why they continue to use him for covers because his – his uh, body work of late is really bad. <laughs> he's just not convincing, doesn't look right. He's not working the, the, the positive and negative space as well. Uh, I, thought, I thought the cover – usually Dynamite just nails the covers. Their covers are usually beautiful, and I don't know what happened on this book. But the, the story in this book – puts the two Battlestar Galacticas together, right? Or that's the intent of the book. That doesn't actually happen in this book. They see each other from across a wormhole on the last page, but they don't actually connect in this book. Which I got to tell you, um, I, I, I mentioned this every time there's one of these crossovers. Stop uh-huh. doing that. Yeah, no, <laughs> Stop you need giving to, me a first that. issue that, does, that they don't connect into the last page. Yeah, no, I mean, it's... You're zero issuing your issue one. Yeah. And that is that is super frustrating. You know, don't make me, you know, uh, find the cheese. Give me the goddamn cheese. You know, you're paying what? Three ninety nine for this book. Give me the goddamn cheese. Yeah. Look at JLA uh, Avengers. Look at Marvel versus DC. Look at yeah. books where it has been done successfully. None of them do it on the last page. Now, someone who uh, reads this story to the end is going to have to tell me some things because uh, I don't plan on picking up issue two or any of the subsequent books. But you know, one of the problems, I think, with doing a universe crossover is that neither one of those stories really supports it, right? There was never a parallel universe storytelling. There was never a you know, multiverse storytelling in either of those two uh, TV series. You know, whereas Star Trek, man, it is all it is all ready for, for crossovers between shows, right? I mean, it is built for that. Um, but you don't get that. It's the same thing with Star Wars. Star Wars really isn't built for that either. Um, so having these two Battlestar Galacticas meet is is kind of a, a weird process. 
we never saw an alien in the Ronald D. Moore Battlestar Galactica, but we see front and center alien in this book. Now, the original Battlestar Galactica did, so you can kind of forgive some of that. And it is Commander Kane, the uh, 70s series, com- series Commander Kane, who, or the 80s series Commander Kane, who sees the alien. So, again, that's still in keeping. But the the wormhole, the, you know, uh, traveling, you know, across space and time, that's really outside of the genre. And so I'm curious as to how they make that work. You know, I was assuming in that original 70s uh or 80, I keep saying 70s, but it was 80s. Um, in that original 80s story, they were working with angels at one point, right? You know, the, these these alien beings or super beings who yeah. appeared to be angels. Um, and I just kind of figured that that was the tack they were going to go to create the the bridging of these two universes. Um, and I'll be curious. I, I would be curious to know, but I'm not curious enough to uh, – read this book. So someone please spoil it for me. <laughs> yeah. Cause this book was terrible. Yeah. I'm out. I thought the, and, and, and I mean, and I, I, I hit the art pretty hard, but I also didn't find the writing very interesting. No. Um, I, I, and I was surprised by that because I am usually very moved by Peter David's writing. I find him funny. I find him heartwarming. Um, I didn't connect to any of these characters, and I'm predisposed to liking these 80s characters. And we are we spend almost the entirety of the book with Commander Kane from uh, the 80s series and Sheba from the 80s series. I like both of those characters. I should have loved this book. But I didn't feel like I was given anything that I that I found charming. That one of the things that they should have done, in my opinion, from the jump, is start off with a viper fight, right? Start off with something cool with Starbuck and Apollo again from the '80s series, you know, bantering back and forth because that was one of the hallmarks of that show. You get a little bit of that later in the book, and it's not enough to save the book because by that time, I already hated the damn thing. Yeah. And I don't think that there was a whole lot they could do to fix that. So cannot recommend this book. Yeah. Um, But I took your recommendation from last week's funnies, Aaron, about favorite ongoing series. Yeah. And I reread Uber issue zero. It has been years since that book um, came out. And so I, I, you know, I went ahead and gave it a shot again and I have a couple of, of thoughts on it. Okay. So one, I don't understand how you can drink and read this book. (laughs) Um, because I had, I had two rum and Cokes last night and I tried reading this book and two rum and Cokes is not anything. I mean, it's really not for me. Um, I have a rather high tolerance, but I'm like, I had to reread, I had to like reread every panel three times because I'm like, wait, what's going on? What's going on? Like it is, it is a very, very dense read. Like I, I, I just, it, not in a bad way. It is just, it is not a book. It's kind of like trying to. You know, there are some TV shows or movies that you can't multitask while you watch. You just need yeah. to pay attention because there's a lot going on. Uber is very much like that. Um, and at least in the first issue, the the characters, because they're so similarly dressed, you know, they, with the, their, their military uniforms, um, it, it's sometimes hard to distinguish who's who um, mm-hmm. based on, you know their their appearance and so you you really have to pay attention in this book and um you know i I found it very well told very masterfully told um store uh writing wise the art i don't know if this is canon white is the artist on the entire series he was on the zero just just the first half okay um 
but I, I quite enjoyed it. I, I really enjoyed the setup. Um, and one of the things that Aaron and I had spoken about offline earlier this week was that I was really, one. I think we talked about this recently, really interested in getting back into a book that had some type of essay in the back of the mm-hmm. book from the from the writer. And so that's one of the things that inspired me to, to retry Uber this week. And so I picked up number zero, and I, I am looking forward to, to continuing down the, the story. Maybe I'll pick up an issue a week until I get caught up or, or you know, unless there's some type of sale. Um, because this this is Avatar, and Avatar rarely puts their stuff on sale. They do about twice a year. Yeah, so you know it's about twice a year, and 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 but I mean the the Uber books are great. I, I just I I deeply love them. They did a Kickstarter when Uber Invasion was was coming out uh, that would provide hardcovers of of the books that came previously. Um, and I've got the the hardcover of like the first twelve issues. It's just. A, it's a great book. I, I enjoy just about everything about it. The thing about the book is that it doesn't glorify war in any stretch of the imagination. It really is about talking about the horrible things people do to each other, right? And, you know, uh, the horrible things people will do to gain power. And, you know, Kieran Gillen, you know, as you read those essays throughout the run of the book, will tell you this is not about a superhero fun time. <laughs> you know, this is about, you know, war and what it does to people, what it does um, to, you know, the people fighting the war as a, and those people who are just around the war. And one of the things I just find uh, just so grim about the book and, and interesting at the same time is how just casually – People lose their lives, you know, in in fighting these things. And that's exactly what happens in war. I mean, if you've ever seen uh, footage from D-Day, you know, those kids who are running off those boats and storming the beach and that are cut down seconds later, those guys had families, they had hopes, they had dreams, you know, and they're just dead, (laughs) you know, uh, running up on a beach. Um, and, and there's a lot of that in the book because, you know, World War II was a horrific war and, uh, you know, lots of people, uh, lives were lost and, and the Uber is telling the story of like, what if Nazis cracked the, the superpower code, um, and were able to introduce supers in, in, in the war? How, how much off, how much more awful would it be? And uh, it's a fascinating story, particularly fascinating a lot in that, uh, Kieran Gillen is, taking the history of the war and the real life people who were involved in the war and, you know, telling that alternative history and trying to be as um, historically thoughtful as he can be through the process. And what he tells you in those essays is how he came to the decisions that he made. Um, as I'm, the whole thing fascinates me as a, as a, as a, someone who enjoys uh, history and alternative history, I find all of this very fascinating. So I'm glad you enjoyed it, Paul. Yeah, I will. I will continue to read it. Um, I will make sure to to not uh, have a drink before I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, Wayne read uh, something a little bit. Well, I, I shouldn't say it's out of the ordinary because you've been reading the book the entire time. But we don't really talk about it on the podcast. You read Phoenix Resurrection, and that's Phoenix Jean Grey Phoenix, right? Yes. So I haven't been reading any other X Men books. So. This is a when it started coming out, I read the the preview first couple pages, and it was interesting enough that I picked it up. And I so said it's on issue number three now. It's a mini series. This is a different kind of resurrection for the character. 
We've seen a lot. She's obviously she's been resurrected many times before, but this is a slow build. So starting in the first issue, we end up getting a scene of these kids are out playing and find a little girl that just kind of appears and talks to them. And by the end of the encounter, the two kids are floating off the ground by a couple inches in a coma with blood coming out of their nose and dead birds all around them. And that's what brings the X-Men in is Cerebro picks that up as something not actually mutant related, but it picked it up anyway. And as the, uh, the series goes on, there are all these events that are occurring at places that are strategic in Jean Grey's life. So like the, the Hellfire Club, for example. They send an X-Men team because they attack something there, and suddenly there are all of these Hellfire people, but they're not real. Uh, there's a team that goes to the North Pole, and they run into Wolverine. And again, he, after it's over, disappears. So it's been this really creepy thing that's been going on, and all of the telepaths that they encounter, anytime they're anywhere near these phenomenon, they go into a coma. They're just overwhelmed by it. Hmm. So it's been a good build of solid X-Men characters, a lot of nostalgia calling back to these previous stories and seeing characters show up from these previous stories that are long dead, but they're just there. All the while, Jean Grey is working at a diner in a town that doesn't seem to actually exist. Like, she's created all of this around her, has no memory of who she is, but, like, she, her car breaks down, so she takes it to the mechanic, and the mechanic is Patch, which is one of Wolverine's identities, and he's there, but he's just the mechanic of the town, and Cyclops shows up, because her boyfriend's, that's her boyfriend, Scott, he shows up. So and it's one of those, doing, like, mind screw series. Yes, so and the, when dealing with her, yes, but everyone on the outside, they come to the realization right away because they keep seeing the flaming firebird. It's like, okay, Phoenix is here. Not Jean Grey, Phoenix. Until they, uh, this issue, they finally go to her grave and the casket is open and there's no body in it. So it's the first hmm. time they realize that Jean herself is involved in this because all this time they've just been under the assumption of this is just Phoenix's back again. My frustration with the miniseries is that they keep referencing things that are happening in the current Jean Grey series, which is the younger Jean Grey from the past. Uh, particularly one issue, issue 10 seems to be the big one, but they keep talking about, oh, well, all the other telepaths are gone. See this issue, and like, all through the book, there's a lot of references to that, so it feels like this isn't the complete story, that we're missing out on a major part of what's going on because I'm not reading the regular Jean Grey book. Ah, uh, yeah. But that said, I am really enjoying it. It's pulling a lot of nostalgia. There's some things about the X-Men I don't like. I don't like how Kitty Pride is portrayed right now. Uh, they've made her kind of a, a hard-ass leader of the team. They cut her hair into a style I don't care for. and She just doesn't seem like the Kitty Pride I've read in the past at all. But other than that, like I said, a lot of nostalgia. And seeing a team led by old man Logan fighting his younger self uh, in the uh, in the Hellfire Club, Jubilee tries because Jubilee is still a vampire apparently tries to drink the blood of one of the Hellfire soldiers, and finds out that they're not actually human. 
It's a lot of little things like that are interesting, but it's it's hitting a nostalgia for me, and I I like the idea of bringing Jean Grey back because I thought her death, this final death that they did for her, was a really stupid way to die. Is that the one? In Grant my Morrison opinion, did? what's that? Oh, I said, is that the one Grant Morrison did? Yes. In my opinion, the final death of Jean Grey was when she died on the moon in X Men What One Thirty Seven. It's the only one that counts. 137, 135, it's something like that. Something like that. Yeah, I like yeah. I love the character in X Factor after that. So I'm fine with that first resurrection and the uh, the reveal that it was never actually Jean Grey, that Phoenix just took the form. Bah. I'm just happy with that one. Bah. Bah. This this time she actually was really dead. <laughs> Did it you know when, Grant Morrison's story? When Claremont and Byrne killed her the first time, that was good enough killing for me. <laughs> Did you guys see, um, speaking of, of X-Men and, and kind of scary things, that New Mutants, which was originally scheduled, I believe, for April this year, has been delayed to February of next year. The TV show? No, the the new movie. No, There's a new movie. Oh. movie coming out. Um, apparently, you know, uh, it's been delayed till next year. So all the X-Men films have kind of shifted dates. Deadpool 2, I think, got moved up two weeks New Mutants got delayed 10 months. That um, is a huge delay, too. So Supposedly, I'm, the rumor is... There, there's two rumors. One is that they want to make it scarier. and the other, Or the other rumor is that they had some test screenings and it didn't do as well as they'd hoped. So, I mean, I think they're kind of related. That maybe, um, you know, maybe the test screenings did well, but not as well as they'd hoped. So they're going to add some more scary aspects to it. I don't know. I'm really, you know, I'm watching some of this stuff interestingly to see what's going to happen with, you know, Disney buying some of those Fox properties. Well, Fox Studios, basically. Yeah. When that all sorts out, what are we going to see happen with the X-Men? I don't want them to mess with Deadpool. I want them to keep it going like it is, but I'd love to see X-Men rolled into the, you know, cinematic universe. I, I think you're going to see uh, complete reboots on all those properties. Oh, yeah. If they're going to bring them in, and I know they keep trying to get Hugh Jackman in, or they're talking about Hugh Jackman, but first of all, the deal isn't done yet, right? right. I mean, ultimately, right. it still has to go through through the government and all that. Um, so I, but so it's going to be Infinity War part, or Avengers 4 has already wrapped filming. So unless this deal gets solidified... And the you know the rights issues figured out before um, you know that that movie f- finishes, we're not seeing the X Men anywhere in through Phase Four of the Marvel Universe or Marvel Cinematic Universe. But I think when we do see them, it'll be a reboot. Yeah, because I was very frustrated with uh, Lego Marvel Superheroes Two. Great game, I love it, but they have all these characters I don't know, don't really know much about, or don't care about. Because there are no X-Men and no Fantastic Four in it whatsoever. And they, you know, behind the scenes, they said that was because licensing got more complicated with them. Yeah, if I was D- if I was Fox, I would be turning and burning on Deadpool 3 before that Disney deal finalizes. Damn straight. Yeah, yeah. just go straight into it. Ryan Reynolds isn't doing shit that's going to make money outside of that. So <laughs> just turn and burn. Do Deadpool 3 immediately after. Um, because it, it's no matter what Bob Iger says, I don't really think it's going to happen. Um, you know, Disney... Disney, is, while they they say yes, there's room for adult properties, and there are. Disney owns companies. Disney, you know, Miramax was owned by Disney when they made Pulp Fiction. It's not like Disney is 
averse to making R-rated films. I just don't see them doing it with a superhero property. Um, I think they try. I think what Disney does try to avoid is brand confusion, and I feel like that that's a scenario that they they would be worried about brand confusion. Um, that this isn't connected to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and it burning them. So, on the other hand, Deadpool made record money for a superhero movie on a fairly small budget. Yeah. It just plain worked. And Disney likes money. Well, remains to be seen. We'll see. We will see how it tur- how it turns out. You know, we're we're talking about superhero universes. Uh this week I actually picked up uh you know, we talked about Archie earlier. I picked up from Archie Comics and Dark Circle Comics. Um The Mighty Crusaders number 2. I had previously read issue 1 written by Ian Flynn, uh art by Kelsey Shannon. So the Dark Circle characters are, I guess, the original, they're Circle characters. Um, Characters like the Shield, the Comet, Jaguar, the Web. Um, And so every couple of years, they seem to reboot these characters. Um, They had the New Crusaders uh, a little while back that um, premiered online only, varying degrees of success. I enjoyed the story. Then they did the Dark Circle stuff, which was like Black Mask, Mature Readers uh, content, The Shield uh, premiered in that thing. And they're still using the Dark Circle logo, but this is this Mighty Crusaders is an all-ages superhero tale. Um, and I, I enjoy the characters sometimes. Um, you know, it depends. I didn't, I did not enjoy that black mask mature reader series. Uh, but I picked up issue one and I enjoyed it and I picked up issue two and I enjoyed it. And I will tell you mighty crusaders for those who are looking for just your solid superhero action book, not a lot of, uh, not a lot of drama or de- um, what's when, when a story takes longer than it should deconstructed. No. Uh, decompressed decompressed storytelling um you know this this is just your classic superhero storytelling book of a super of, of this superhero team um colorful characters there's a little bit of infighting but you know it's kind of resolved in the same issue um it's not gritty it's not dark it is just your bright shiny superhero book um and, and to a certain extent kind of reminds me a bit of rainsboro season one um in in that in that aspect and so I really am enjoying this book. I picked up issue two. I, I will continue with the story. Yeah, I'm glad to hear it, Paul, because I have a bit of nostalgia for those characters. When I first started collecting comics, there was – I don't even remember what the store was called now, but it was a uh, it was a third store in the Walmart chain that was the overstock and just really cheap stuff. And they had – you would go in and they would have bags of, I was want to say it was like four comics for a dollar, but you couldn't see what was it, you know, what they were. It's the way I used to buy my porn, by the way. <laughs> but you couldn't see what was in there, but you knew that there were like two or three nudie magazines. Nice. <laughs> so what was in there was a lot of the, the mighty crusaders and some of those type of books, uh, that was uh, the Valiant stuff, a lot of Harbinger and Exo Man of War and things like that. Oh yeah, uh, Warriors of Plasm. <laughs> so not everything in there was a uh, was a hit, but you shut your mouth. I loved Warriors. You shut of your whore mouth. That's right. <laughs> yeah, well, so and, a- and and in my bag, sometimes you had a celebrity skin, a swank, or, or even a high society. <laughs> nice. <laughs> 
<laughs> so it was a lot of those books, not like the Marvel and DC ones. So when I really started reading comics, I kind of got my start on some of those style books. That's why I love the Valiant Universe so much, was because those were some of the first books I read. So really glad to hear that you're in, that this book is good. I might might actually pick up the first two issues. Yeah, I'm I'm glad I gave it a shot. I really am. And uh, you know, on the flip side, I'm 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 not glad that I gave a shot to the new Witchblade book um, from Image Comics. Uh, you know, I I have I enjoyed the previous Top Cow iteration of Witchblade um, in 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 varying degrees. I enjoyed it when Ron Mar- Ron Mars was on the book. Friend of Funny Books, Ron Mars. I don't say that just because he's been on the show more than any other um, writer. I say that because I genuinely enjoyed the book. It's the book that introduced us to Stepan Sayich, who's now doing Aquaman. Um, and, and other fantastic artists. I enjoyed the the Sarah Pacelli uh, storyline there, and all you know, and the Jackie Estacado darkness crossover into artifacts. Really loved it. So I was I was excited that there's a new Witchblade book. I I, I was not familiar with the creative team, but Top Cow's good about bringing in new talent. Um, they have talent hunts and things like that. So the book is written by Caitlin Kittredge, um, art by Roberta Igranada. So it, it is a you know a female creative team, and it 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 just it's just not very good. Um, yeah. I you know I, I it's a story that uh, you know this is it, it's just not well told. The storytelling aspects of it, um, there's they they introduce characters, and I'm like, okay, who is this guy? And then you don't even find out the guy has a name until issue two, um, and it, it's the the. Everything feels very matter-of-factly told in that nothing really has a genuine impact. Um, I don't know if that's a fault of the writing or the art or a combination of both, but I did read issues one and two just to see if maybe it was just a weak issue one. And I gotta say, no, I, I didn't enjoy issue two either. Paul, do you feel like Witchblade's a book that is is really kind of a book that's out of its time now? That the further we move away from the original story, the less impact this character has? You know, I think it depends. I really think it's a, a dependent on the writer. Uh, maybe, maybe. Um, would I enjoy those Ron Mars Witchblade books if I had picked them up now? Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like I would. I feel like there was some great storytelling in there, uh, some interesting stuff, some mature superhero storytelling. Uh, but I do think, I, I think. Witchblade and a lot of those cheesecake characters were a product of their time, and so I believe that they're trying to get out of that cheesecake element. But in doing so, uh, I think there's not much else to the character unless you have the right writer. Yeah. Yeah, that said, with uh, having been burned so many times by Witchblade books, I won't pick it up unless it's written by Ron Mars. He's the only one that gets the character in a way that makes me find it interesting well, and I found I found that some of the spinoff characters from Witchblade were more interesting than actual Witchblade herself of late. Um, what is the character who works for the Vatican? I can't remember her name. All oh, of a the Magdalena. Magdalena. Yeah, the Magdalena. Those books were great. Yes, those books yeah. were great. Um, but then but they, yeah. they 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 did a recent reboot on that. That was not good. Yeah. 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 So yeah, but I, I I also think that that 
Top Cow is not the strongest publishing arm. You know, it's it's not the the strongest publisher. I don't think they they marry their their talent particularly well. I think Ron Mars and Stepan Sayich were a great marriage, but some of the things that have happened after that have not been nearly so successful. I would agree. Yeah. So, but, yeah. Uh, sorry yeah. to hear that, Paul. Bummer. Yeah, I'm, I will not I, be continuing with the series. I know that you wanted that to be a happy ending. I did. Yeah. Well, you know, strangely enough, <laughs> uh, I one of the, the books that I have been the most impressed by and have strangely enough enjoyed is a new book from image called Judas. Um, uh, I, I did not realize, I'm sorry, it's from boom. I said image. Yeah. I was, I was about to correct you on that one. It's from boom studios. And you know, one of the interesting things about that is that boom really hasn't been publishing much that I'm interested in. And about a month ago I was sitting in a hotel room, uh, you know, traveling the, the, this great state of Texas and I was looking at, at comics from Boom, and I was like, ah, Boom never has anything that I'm interested in. Hey, wait, what's this Judas book? Because um, yeah, I, I find Boom does a lot of the all ages or younger books. Mm-hmm. I don't see a lot of serious stories these days from Boom. Well, and uh, I am rather fascinated by uh, you know stories told in, in, in biblical times and that extrapolate biblical stories, that kind of thing. And uh, – so I, I I did the preview pages. I liked the preview pages. I liked what I what I read online from the writer. Uh, he sounded like somebody who actually uh, understood the subject matter. So yeah. I, I I read issue one, and yeah. I did not realize that Wayne also it read issue one. Well, so, that's because I didn't until yesterday. Oh, really? I picked up issue one and two together. Okay. And what sold me was I saw you had it on your list. So I went out and looked and said, what is this? Because that sounds interesting. And there was a phrase that described issue one. And uh, it was a to save – basically to save everyone. Uh, I don't remember how it was – I don't remember how it was phrased. But basically broke down to, uh, you know – one man had to be sacrificed to save humanity, and that man was Judas. Yeah, you know, one of the things that bothers a lot of people about the Jesus story is that, you know, uh, Jesus is the Son of God and is, in fact, God, you know, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And if Jesus is actually God and he knows everything— how did he not know that when he recruited Judas, that Judas would betray him? And if he knew that when he recruited Judas as an apostle, isn't he somehow complicit in Judas's sin? He empowers Judas to sin. So that's that's a question that has been asked, you know, not just in this comic, but for centuries, right? Um, and it's one of those things that, I mean, in my own faith journey, this is one of those things that I struggle with. Um, that, you know, if God knows you're going to do this terrible thing, uh, shouldn't God, you know, in this circumstance where it's actually God in the world, shouldn't he have, have made a different choice anyway? That's where our story picks up because this story picks up after Judas has committed suicide. You know, he, he has seen what his betrayal of Christ has, has cost you know, he has seen that, you know, Jesus has been has been put to death uh, and he doesn't hang around for the resurrection. He goes out and hangs himself 
you know, because he's lost faith. You know, he, he he's ha- he's had a crisis of spirit. He, you know, doesn't he hasn't necessarily believed that uh, Jesus is going to come back from the dead. Um, and so he, he, you know, kills himself. And that's where our story picks up as uh, Judas wanders hell. And, and this first issue is very much, you know, flashing back to uh, the man that Judas was. And there is some artistic license uh, here because we don't know enough about Judas and history to know what his actual true background is. There's a lot of supposition there. But uh, and but then it kind of turns into a little bit of Dante's Inferno as he sort of, you know, wanders uh, the roads of hell. So, Wayne, tell me more. Yeah. So. And I'm trying to avoid spoilers because I've read one issue more of than of this than Aaron. Yeah. So, uh, and I read them together, so it's hard to see where the the cut is. I I've always loved Judas stories. Mm-hmm. Anything to do with with tying into that from I've seen Dracula stories that relate to it, where Dracula is Judas. I've seen uh, in the Dresden Files, one of the the Denarians mm-hmm. are based around that, as well as the. Uh, the head of the denarian wears Judas's uh, rope, his noose, around his neck. Right. Well, and and so, you're, you're you're missing the most important story, Jesus Christ Superstar. Uh, you know, because that that is very much a a Judas Iscariot story. Uh, you know, talking about you know the betrayal. Um, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, those stories are fascinating because it is such a human trait to betray yeah. someone that you love. It wasn't that Judas was a, you know, mustache twirling bad guy from the jump. He was a, a close personal friend of, of, uh, of Jesus. Yeah. And, and there are theologians out there that posit that he was doing the work he was intended to by turning him in. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, there is that, that line. I mean, Jesus knows it's going to happen. And, you know, there's that line in the in the Gospels where, you know, Jesus says, you know, if you're Jesus says to Judas, if you're going to do it, go do it now. Right. You know, be, be quick about it. Yeah. Uh, and so, I like that they put, they have that right in the book, too. Yeah. Well, and they also have I think there is a you know, as we're flashing back to, you know, brighter days, you know, it shows you where Jesus recruits him and he says, come follow me. And that is echoed at the end of the book when he's in hell and Lucifer appears in front of him and says, come follow me. And I just I think this story in the first issue anyway, I haven't read issue two yet, but I think that this first issue is beautifully told and scratches me right where I itch. Yes. Uh, And that's that's where I struggle with how much of this have you read and how much haven't you? Because the second issue is pretty much entirely conversation between Lucifer and Judas. Well, I and will I, you I get will read it. His story. I will read it uh, this week and we can talk about it on next week's show. Because yeah, I'm excited is. that somebody else is reading it because I was like, oh, nobody on the podcast is going to read this thing with me because this is such a book written right at me. <laughs> you know, it I mean, is I, taken from such a serious standpoint, yeah. taking the material seriously, yep. trying to get that other perspective that we don't normally get because it's really trying to give Judas's perspective of what he's gone through, what he's, why he did what he did. 
I think it is a tremendously human story, and I think I think it's one that is worth telling. And the the creative team, the the the, the, the artwork, and we haven't said anything, we haven't said a thing about the artwork, but the artwork is so iconic, and I say that in a religious uh, sort of term. That these the the panels almost look like religious artwork, and not like religious artwork, you know, one of those uh, you know comics from the '80s, but you know something that you would see on an icon in a church. The, they are just so lovingly crafted. Yeah, um, I love the look of these characters. Yeah. When Lucifer shows up at the that last panel, mm-hmm. you, he's got the black wings, but he's very pale himself. It's like, yeah. I like that. I have never seen that interpretation of him, that look. Yeah. And I like that look that yeah. fits for a fallen angel to me. Yeah, no, it's 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 just a beautifully told story, and I'm I'm so excited. I've got a, I've got a Judas buddy. <laughs> this seems and, an unusual thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and one thing we didn't mention is all through the book there are Bible quotes as well as I'm pretty sure some of the things in the first issue actually were Dante's Inferno quotes. Yeah. No, absolutely. The the the. The writer is very well versed in the literature around this character, uh, and you know both you know b- biblical and otherwise. I I, it, I think the the writer, this is a story from his heart. I, mean, I think this is something that's, that that you know he uh, he was sort of born to write because he he is nailing it. Yes, yeah, and hell is depicted. It is a horrible place with uh, like really disturbing images. But it's not the stereotypical lake of fire. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I – well, and I, I think we were just at the – having only read the first issue, I can only surmise. But it seemed like we were only in the first layer of hell. Like we hadn't we hadn't ventured all the way down, right? Yeah, we've seen a very small piece of it. But – well, you know, just like Dante's Inferno, there are many layers to what we do here at Ideology of Madness. Uh, com or iomgeek.com, however you choose to access us. Um, we have uh, on the feed right now is our weekly discussion of Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek with Aaron and Polly. Uh, so be sure and check that out. Uh, also, uh, Paul is always posting cool stuff on our YouTube channel, and you can find a link to that on our uh, iomgeek.com page. And Paul, what, how would they find you on YouTube if they were just out there in the tube of you? youtube.com slash ideology of madness it's crazy talk yeah a couple then, new videos went up this week yeah i know it's, it's like you know you don't you can completely unplug your cable because paul is going to provide you all the video you'll ever need mm-hmm. and, and over on instagram at iom geek we are on we, are, we have just completed the first week of the uh, 30-day Star Trek challenge in which we examined the best of Star Trek. Uh, so be sure and check that out. And you can find us over on the Twitters. Uh, you can search on both IOM Geek or at Ideology Madness. Uh, make sure you don't include that of there because there just aren't enough characters. Um, so lots and lots of ways to check out content from the guys here at IOMGeek.com plus We'd love to hear from you. you. You can comment in any one of those venues, or you can give us a call 
and I'd throw this to Paul, but I know he doesn't know the number. So I'll say 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you'll win a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. Paul, what's coming out next week? Well, you know, we have new issues of Superman, Batman, Super Sons. We get that conclusion of that Super Sons of Tomorrow storyline. We get Batman. Uh, you know, we, we just had the two-parter with him and Superman. Uh, now we're going to get his conversation with Wonder Woman, his, his kind of telling everyone he's engaged um, storyline. Uh, but we also from DC Comics will get Damage Number One, which is the start of that new uh, metal-related uh, line of books. This one written by Robert Venditti, art by Danny Miki and Tony Daniel. Um, comes out this coming week. Uh, they had a preview of it a couple weeks ago in, in DC Books. This week they had a preview of The Silencer um, from John Romita Jr. And the writer escapes me at this moment. Um, one thing that is interesting, if you're in comic stores next week, uh, it, it shows 117 on the DC Comics website. However, it shows January 23rd on Comixology. Superpowers by Jack Kirby. Um, trade paperback is coming out. Uh, and so, uh, you know, a lot of what I actually love about the New Gods isn't just from the New Gods books. A lot of people, you know, right. who haven't actually read the books assume that the New Gods books involve Superman and, and, and the DC heroes. And I will tell you that, you know, even though most of the characters were introduced in the pages of Jimmy Olsen, um, largely the new gods fourth world storytelling took place on apocalypse and um new genesis and didn't really involve the dc superheroes until superpowers um which was uh done by jack kirby he uh, collaborated with uh, a number of creators joey cavalier cavalieri adrian gonzalez paul cooperberg and they pitted the and this was like a large event book, but tied in with a toy line and a cartoon. Um, back in 1984, there were two miniseries um, celebrating that Kenner toy line uh, that they, they brought in Jack Kirby to, to do. And so this omnibus collects uh, the, the entire superpowers saga um, superpowers, volume one, numbers one through five and volume two, number one through six. Uh, it's I love that toy line so much, by the way. And I loved these books, and they've yeah. never been available digitally before. They will be available digitally now. And um, just you know, if you have seen, if you are one of the few who enjoyed the Justice League movie, um, you know, it would not <laughs> exist if it wasn't for for this uh, this line of books and toys. So definitely uh, check out Superpowers by Jack Kirby, uh, either digitally or uh, in paper. Pretty exciting. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, uh, I, I when I came into the office to uh, to record today's episode, I said to my wife, "Oh, I don't think I can't imagine we're going to talk very long today." Yeah, and it was an extra length episode, <laughs> and we, we we and because we talked about different stuff. So uh, let us guys let us know what you thought of this week's episode. Let us know if you're reading a book that we don't necessarily read on uh, all the the avenues that Aaron just mentioned, and we will see you guys next time. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.